Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today. My name is Susie Gelman, and I'm privileged to serve as the board chair of Israel Policy Forum. I want to welcome those of you who are joining Israel Policy Forum for the first time today, and welcome back our returning viewers. Before we, we begin, I want to thank our supporters. Our work, including today's program, is made possible by you. If you do not yet support our work, please do so by visiting www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash support. Now to today's video briefing. Jordan is the country with which Israel shares its longest border and the second Arab state to sign a peace treaty with Israel. The critical relationship between Israel and Jordan went through a challenging period in recent years, especially during the Trump administration. Now with the new government in Israel, there has been a spate of high-level diplomatic activity with a meeting between Prime Minister Bennett and King Abdullah, a call between the Jordanian monarch and recently inaugurated Israeli President Isaac Herzog, and an agreement to increase Israel's supply of water to Jordan. Still, challenges remain, with controversy on the Temple Mount, where Jordan is custodian of Muslim holy sites, over the weekend, and latent hostility toward Jordan's from some segments of the Israeli right. These issues are sure to figure in King Abdullah's time in Washington, as he has met with President Biden and other top officials. To help us understand these issues, we are pleased to be joined by Noah Landau and Aaron Magid. Noah is a journalist and member of the Haaretz editorial board. Aaron is a Middle East analyst who previously reported from Amman, writing for Foreign Affairs, Foreign Policy, and Al Monitor. With that, Noah and Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Noah, it's no secret that Jordan-Israel ties suffered in recent years. What were the main impediments to the relationship? Well, hi, everyone, and thank you for inviting me. Um, well, yes, it's not a secret. And um, I think what we mostly saw was a mixture of um, an Israeli policy that basically took Jordan for granted um, in many ways. And on the other hand, also a series of... Um, uh, diplomatic uh, clashes that could have been avoided um, that weren't a part of a specific policy uh, but caused a lot of the uh, rift uh, anyways, which uh, has to do especially with uh, Netanyahu's uh, diplomatic uh, faux pas or um, uh, diplomatic uh, clashes that that he himself uh, caused uh, uh, during uh, his years in power. So uh, probably some of you remember um, when he gave a hero's welcome to the Israeli uh, embassy security guard uh, who shot two Jordanians, uh, for example. And we also saw uh, during, uh, of course, the annexation plan and uh, the Trump uh, deal of the century, uh, the Abram uh, Accords, uh, how Jordan uh, was treated by the administration uh, with the encouragement, I wouldn't say necessarily of the Israeli government, but Israeli advisors uh, to Trump's plan, let's put it this way. 
Um, so again, we saw uh, something that had to do with the uh, personal behavior of Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, his own personal relations uh, with the kingdom, uh, along with uh, general policy that took Jordan uh, for granted. And um, I think uh, really neglected some of the uh, civilian project that were supposed uh, supposed to, to help uh, uh, these relations. Although uh, I would say that, you know, security ties uh, were still pretty much strong during these years. It's more the problem was more on the on the civil level. So all these things, along with, of course, annexation. And also the Aaron records and the fact that um, the Trump administration, along with Israel, kind of encouraged also uh, new players around Jerusalem, which is very important, of course, to Jordan and the king himself as custodians of, of uh, uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, all of that uh, were part of the reasons that in recent years, these relations uh, were not the best. Thank you. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, King Abdullah is in Washington today. Aaron, how can the U.S.-Jordan relationship under President Biden impact Israel-Jordan relations? And how do you expect the Biden administration's approach to Jordan to differ compared with the Trump administration? Sure. So first of all, thank you very much to IPF for inviting me. Um, this is a really interesting topic to be speaking with. Um, also, I've watched Noah many times I meet the press in Israel, so it's an honor to be on a panel with her. Um, in terms of the... So we're not going to shout at each other like they do in meet the press. <laughs> I'm warning you because I'm uh, not in the mood. <laughs> um, in terms of how the relationship will be different between um, the Biden administration and Trump, um, we expect the Biden administration to be more attentive to King Abdullah. Um, during the Trump administration, King Abdullah and Jordan specifically asked... Um, the United States, for example, not to move the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. They're very clear about it, and the U.S. ignored them. Um, Jordan asked the United States not to cut aid to UNRWA, um, the U.N. Agency for Palestinian Refugees, and the U.S. ignored them. Um, and there, there were many examples of that on the Palestinian front that during the Biden administration, we expect, um, since it's a democratic um, administration, them to be much more in line. Um, that's number one. In terms of how we can expect um, the relationship to, to affect Israel is especially on Al-Aqsa, um, the Temple Mount, and all and the holy sites. Uh, President Biden and his team will be much more likely to get involved, like we saw in the past few days, according to reports in Israeli media. The Jordanians actually reached out to the the White House, asking them for, to intervene, and then the White House contacted Bennett, um, calling him to change to walk back his statement. So we could see many things like that, but I think there's going to be some items that are going to continue. Trump kept USA to Jordan very high. He did not cut it during any point of his administration. Um, and Biden will also probably be doing the exact same thing, So, which is probably the most important issue for Jordan, given its many economic woes and its very large public debt. Um, and number two is we saw very little talk of democracy reform um, during King Abdullah's meeting with President Biden, which is also a continuation um, from President Trump. Despite Jordan being increasingly repressive, um, we have arrests of the teachers' union. Um, their freedom of press has really taken a very difficult turn. Um, but for for President Biden, it's more about Jordan's role um, with the Syrian refugees and with the peace process. That's been prioritizing the agenda over democracy issues inside Jordan. 
Noah, what was the readout from the conversations King Abdullah had with Prime Minister Bennett and with President Herzog? Well, the readouts, you know, are always um, uh, very, uh, very brief uh, and include only the niceties. Um, but I think, I mean, the, the major problem that we saw after these conversations was first a very interesting reaction from the Israeli I'm not sure if right or extreme right would be the right description, um, but there was a, a very interesting uh, response amongst the, not necessarily those who support Netanyahu, but also Bennett supporters from the writer uh, wing um, that really opposed uh, this rapprochement with uh, Jordan, uh, which was quite surprising because um, in the end, I think it's quite a consensus in Israel and especially among uh, the security sector that Jordan is, like you said in the beginning, um, indeed an, an important partner uh, on Israel's uh, longer uh, border in terms of security, for sure. Um, so it was interesting to see the reaction, and I, I, it, it mostly uh, concerned the fact that um, uh, that they are concerned that this might lead uh, to some concessions on uh, the Palestinian front, uh, which personally. I don't. I mean, I think that Biden himself is not quite there yet, so I don't see how Jordan could enforce us. But you know, these were the the concerns that we heard in Israel. And on the other hand, you know, just a, a few days later, what we saw around the Aqsa Temple Mount, um, of course, did not help uh, these uh, you know slowly recovering relations. Uh, and this is something that I think Bennett. Um, poorly managed diplomatically, uh, uh, the evidence is that he had to issue another statement. Uh, and the first statement he um, said uh, in Hebrew, something along the lines that um, he supports uh, freedom of worship for uh, Jews on Temple Mount, uh, which of course is not you know, the language expected in these kinds of uh, statements. Uh, about a, such a fragile status quo. Uh, so we had to issue a second uh, announcement later, emphasizing that he, there's actually no change in the status quo around Al-Aqsa and Temple Mount. So um, th this was the, uh, the second problem that Bennett uh, faced. So I'd like to ask you both a follow-up to what Noah was just describing. Um, Given what seems to be a conscious effort on the part of the Israeli leadership to improve things with Jordan, I'd like to hear each of you uh, give your take about the now retracted statement, as Noah mentioned, from the Israeli Prime Minister's office, which, as you said, Noah first suggested a policy of permitting Jewish worship on the Temple Mount in contravention of the status quo there, in which Jordan is deeply invested. So my question is this, what happened? Was it a rookie mistake, an error in judgment, a rhetorical slip up? something more sinister. Aaron, I'm going to start with you on this one. Sure. Um, so it, I don't think it appears to be an Aaron judge, just a mistake. Um, because first of all, the statement guaranteeing free or calling for freedom of worship for Jews on the Temple Mount is still on Naftali Bennett's official Twitter account. And I looked at it um, right before the presentation. Um, it was written both in Hebrew and in English. Um, so it would be very difficult for one to gather that was just a mistake. And if they was a mistake, you just delete it um, and apologize. And none of that happened. Um, they issued an anonymous statement to the press, not in, not Prime Minister Bennett's statement saying it himself. Um, 
Now, Bennett is constantly facing criticism from the right within Israel, whether it's Netanyahu or the religious Zionism party with Smotrich. Um, and he's constantly trying to be 10 degrees to the right of Netanyahu. Um, so I think he was trying to show that just like with the Jerusalem flag parade, that Netanyahu promised the parade and then having to kept canceling it, he said he was going to be the one maybe to allow more um, freedom of worship for Jews on the Temple Mount. And that's, a, of course, a very popular cause among the right wing. Um, following pressure, he had to walk it back. Uh, but I think Jordan, from Naftali Bennett's perspective, he wants to divide the economic relationship with Jordan. So, for example, the water agreement with Israel's policy towards the Palestinians and Jerusalem. And the idea of we want to have our own policy on Jerusalem, and that'll probably be a, a more right wing with the Palestinians. And on the way, we'll try to avoid bilateral issues with the Jordanians. But for Jordan's perspective, they can't separate the Palestinian issue with their bilateral relationship with Israel. Thank you, Aaron. Noah, do you have any additional thoughts on this topic, whether it was an error in judgment or something more intentional? Well, first of all, Aaron, I, I think this is the closest I've been to an airport for a while. So uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, I think it was a rookie. I don't know if I think Aaron is right that it wasn't completely a mistake because it was intentional in terms of the content because he didn't say anything that he didn't um, meant to say, but for a different crowd. He was trying to talk to his right wing, um, not so much of supporters anymore since he established this government. And he was, he was behaving uh, like quite a rookie in terms of uh, diplomacy and the way that he had to handle this uh, in front of Jordan. So I, I think in that term, um, there was a problem there that he probably learned from. Uh, I don't think that was his intention to cause all this uh, outrage with Jordan just in the midst, you know, of their conversation and just before the king's visit to Washington. Um, but um, I think he quickly recovered uh, from that one. And we'll probably we'll probably see him, you know, um, with much more careful statements in the future regarding Jordan. And again, for both of you, how can Israel and Jordan work together to keep the situation in Jerusalem from spiraling out of control, especially after what seems like a near miss this weekend? Noah, can we start with you, please? First of all, one of the problems in Jerusalem right now is that there are so many actors um, behind the scene and it's only getting more and more complicated. Uh, we see Turkey, uh, and by the way, there was also a conversation, of a, a much more rare conversation uh, between Herzog and Erdogan, which is uh, much more surprising uh, than the one with uh, Abdallah. So we see Turkey in the region. Uh, of course, since the Abraham Accords, uh, we see uh, some of the Gulf countries, you know, wanting to um, put a foot there as well. And there is, um, it was very interesting to see how during the Abraham Accords, uh, Jared Kushner, for example, kept emphasizing how, you know, the, the number one benefit would be that now they have free access uh, to Al-Aqsa, uh, which, of course, you know, Jordanians were listening very carefully, and we spoke about Jordan's, you know, special position there. Um, so so this is just getting much messier, and I'm not sure that his, Israel knows how to um, 
kind of handle all the growing uh, uh, actors uh, around the city. Um, I, I think it's a good step that, you know, there are uh, public conversations. Uh, I have to say that, you know, it's not that during Netanyahu's terms, um, these conversations did not happen. Of course, of course they did. They spoke a lot and there were also secret visits. Uh, some of them, you know, were later published and some were not, but they happened. Um, the, you know, what's new is that now it's, it's public because um, there is an attempt to kind of um, fix, fix the relations, um, but it doesn't mean that they didn't exist before. Um, so I think it's probably a positive, you know, it's always positive when two sides want to improve the relations, um, but it's not going to be that easy. And even though we saw the visit uh, to Washington, um, it's still not such a top priority for the administration. Um, I, I really don't think they will push, push that hard uh, on this issue right now. Uh, Aaron, your thoughts? Um, so in terms of how to pre um, preserve the environment in Jerusalem, number one would be avoiding visits by senior politicians to um, Al-Aqsa Mosque and that area and the Temple Mount. Um, we had two members of Bennett's own party um, recently going there on Sunday. And even though Shikli is not really in the coalition in traditional sense, it still is very bad optics when you have that. If we start seeing ministers going up, that's certainly going to inflame it. Um, number two is they should really avoid sending the police into the Al-Aqsa Mosque itself, shooting um, fireworks or, or any kind of um, any kind of violence within the mosque is extremely inflammatory, at least how it's seen among Jordanians and Palestinians. And that's exactly what uh, we saw before the recent Gaza campaign in May. Um, and that definitely increases a lot of um, intensity as well. Now, for, finally, just enforcing the status quo on prayer is certainly important. Um, there have been many times over the past few weeks where we've seen reports in the Israeli media, Haaretz was one of them a, a while back that said that there was prayer going on. It didn't get it nearly as much attention until Channel 12 um, issued their report. Um, but this prayer going on, it, it from a Jordanian-Palestinian perspective, this is their great fear that then there's going to be a temple built or a synagogue, um, and then it's going to lead to Al-Aqsa Mosque being divided um, or being blown up. I mean, th these are the Jordanian-Palestinian fears, um, but anything Israel can do to avoid um, these provocations is really important. Jordan, of course, plays host to a prominent anti-Israel, anti-normalization movement. Aaron, how have events around Jerusalem last weekend and other issues in the city and in Gaza in recent months played out inside of Jordan? Sure. So you have lawmakers in, in Jordan's parliament um, are often very critical of Israel. Um, more recently, during the Gaza campaign, you heard calls to expel the Israeli ambassador, um, to close down the embassy. Um, and even in protest to scrape um, the peace treaty as a whole. So all that has been going on. And to be honest, a lot of that's been going on for many years before Netanyahu, after Netanyahu. Um, so, so that's probably not going to change. Um, and I think it's, it's worth mentioning, even though there's a lot of this public pressure um, on King Abdullah to minimize ties, he seems to be doing not exactly what the public is looking for. The, the Jordanian ambassador is still in Tel Aviv, even during the end of Netanyahu's term. Foreign Minister Gabi Ashkenazi, um, under Netanyahu, met three times with the Jordanian counterpart, um, Safadi, um, and security ties, as Noah mentioned, 
um, resume. So there's this very delicate balancing act that King Abdullah is doing that in my mind is less personality based than a lot of people are focusing on. From Jordan's perspective, the ties can't get that bad that it's going to cause a treaty to collapse because that could start impacting USA, which is so important to Jordan, given that it's getting about $1.5 billion and Jordan's economic challenges are really high. So it's never going to get too low and it's never going to get too warm until the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is solved, which obviously we don't think is going to happen in the next few years because Jordan's population is about 60% Palestinian. Um, and for them, that issue is of a lot of importance. Um, so it's this ba balancing act that can occurred under Netanyahu and it's, it's going to continue under Bennett for the Jordanian government. So I have a couple of questions for each of you, but I do want to remind our audience to please uh, type a question in the Q&A box uh, so that we can get to them shortly. Um, there's an Israeli domestic political angle to this too. After Prime Minister Bennett agreed to increase Israel's water supply to Jordan, opposition leader Netanyahu alleged that the Hashemite kingdom was supplying Iran with oil. Let's put that spurious notion to rest. Aaron, where did Netanyahu get this idea and how can he play politics with the Israel-Jordan relationship? So it's unfortunate this is not the only relationship that Netanyahu is playing politics with. We saw it more prominently with the United States where it's just constant um, we, the criticism of the Bennett coalition's quote-unquote no surprise policy um, with, with the United States. So we see it with the United States and now we also see it with Jordan. Um, now it it's kind of a strange um, accusation because Jordan has very little oil itself. Um, so it's certainly not selling it to Iran. Iran has buckets and buckets of oil. It's one of the oil wealthy states in the world. So they certainly don't need the very little amount that Jordan has. Um, there was this conference between um, the president of Egypt in Baghdad with King Abdullah um, and the Iraqi leadership as well. And they talked about cooperation, but that cooperation has been going on for many years. It's, it's also encouraged by the United States. And Jordan, President Sisi of Egypt has very close ties with Netanyahu. You never saw Israel criticize Egypt for these kind of relations. Um, so it seemed to be just kind of pushing for any way to criticize the Bennett government and for people who are not very, um, who are not following the day-to-day -day dynamics of Iraqi politics to, to know some of these uh, developments. <laughs> Sorry, Noah, do you have anything to add to what Aaron just said? Uh, what Netanyahu meant, basically, if we need to um, analyze this, is that they're giving, um, that they're helping Iran by uh, allowing uh, the pipeline to go uh, to Egypt. So this is basically also the oil war uh, in the Middle East because um, as some of you might know, Netanyahu was trying to establish a competing pipeline uh, with uh, Europe. So uh, this is what he meant. But of course, it was exaggerated. Uh, while we're on the topic of Israeli politics in Jordan, Noah, you recently wrote in Haaretz about the hostility some Israeli right-wingers harbor for Jordan. What animates their beliefs and how does this anti-Jordan constituency think Israel should approach the Hashemite kingdom? Well, you know, it all started, of course, um, 
back uh, in the days where uh, Israel's right wing thought that uh, Palestine is Jordan. Um, this is something that was feeding Jordan's uh, biggest fears uh, for um, many years uh, back then uh, in 48 and so on. Um, but still today, you know, when people talk about this idea of um, the, the, uh, of Jordan as Palestine, as by the way, the Netanyahu's son, Yair Netanyahu, kept tweeting all the time, which was also not helping the situation. Um, so this is something that um, we saw for many years. And then um, I think in recent years, there's this concept that um, anything that has to do with support to the two-state solution um, is basically um, is basically uh, wrong, and therefore the Jordanians, because they support the two-state solution, because they don't want Jordan to be Palestine, <laughs> so uh, that's why um, some, not all, in the right wing in Israel. Um, Think that uh, someone even called a few weeks ago Jordan uh, 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 compared uh, Jordan to an enemy country just because of that. Um, of course, as I said before, I don't think this is realistic um, that Jordan from all countries would be the one to pressure Israel into uh, going back to negotiations with the Palestinians, of course. Uh, not not now, that's for sure. And I think what Alan said about USAID is, is probably the most important part uh, for Jordan also. Uh, maybe we'll just mention that um, Jordan also suffers uh, from COVID uh, quite uh, severely. And uh, there, was, there were also discussions in Washington about uh, vaccines. So um, I think that's that's more, th that's their priority more than necessarily, you know, uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And Noah, just one more question while we're talking about the right-wing position towards Jordan. And as you said, that they there are those who view Jordan as the state of, as what should be the state of Palestine. Um, how, if at all, were such positions on Jordan implemented as policy under the Trump administration and Prime Minister Netanyahu? How would it, I'm not sure I understood the question were the positions that were, uh, was the policy implemented uh, under the Trump administration with regard to Jordan yeah. or actions by Prime Minister Netanyahu, was any of that informed by this anti-Jordan constituency uh, during the previous administra American administration and the previous Israeli administration for that matter? Well, yeah, I, I, I'm just reluctant to call whatever happened their policy because I'm not sure, you know, uh, I covered this Pretty, uh, you know, intensely, and and I'm not sure that this should be called policy because it was very hectic, and um, it it wasn't very, it wasn't clear all the time if it's something you know that, that someone really thought of or was just you know pulled out of the sleeve suddenly. But in any case, um, I I think yes. For first of all, the the there was um, I can't remember where it was published, but at some point there were some evidence about how Jared Kushner specifically was trying to push out uh, King Abdallah from these negotiations on purpose. Um, and that part of the reason that um, they pushed the Abraham Accords uh, were to weaken 
uh, Jordan uh, in the region and specific in Jerusalem, as, as we spoke about before. Uh, so I think uh, the Trump administration definitely played uh, a role there. Um, and not necessarily for Israel's uh, benefit, because again, as I said, the, the security establishment in Israel uh, did not think that uh, Jordan should be, that the, the, they thought that Jordan is still important to us. And um, I'm not sure that that was, uh, that actually did us uh, a favor. Um, and, um, but I also think that in the end, um, Trump's deal of the century is not something that Netanyahu endorsed the way he wanted people to think that he did. Um, I actually think that if Netanyahu uh, uh, would have won the last elections, he might have actually had a more stable relationship with Biden, and I know this is controversial, than even with, with Trump. Because with Trump, he had a problem. He had to, um, he was he was basically becoming his prisoner in, in some sort of way. And to, towards the end of the term, the relations were not great. Um, and with Biden, at least he could, you know, um, use uh, the arguments in his own domestic politic uh, benefits. But that's, you know, that's that's a different issue. But to your question, yes, of course, the Trump administration definitely played a role in the rift. Karen, do you have anything to add before I turn to audience questions? Uh, you're on mute. I think we're good. Okay. All right, so I'm gonna turn to audience questions. So Jonah Nagy, who is one of our stalwart IPF Atid leaders, asks the following, Jordan has apparently been building stronger ties with Iran recently, such as with economic and tourist agreements. Some are concerned this could be a sign of Iran planting the seeds to influence Jordan in the same way it influences Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon. What do you make of these developments? I don't know who wants to take that first. Aaron, you wanna take it? Um, I think, I think we should be careful not to exaggerate um, relations. Iran's role in Lebanon and Iraq is, is very, very strong. They have militia groups there. I mean, in Lebanon, um, Hezbollah arguably is the most powerful group in, within the country. There, there are no Iranian Baak militias in Jordan. Um, it's not, there were some very low level, um, this, um, quote unquote, economic arrangements or, around tourism. Um, but a lot of this is coming from the Israeli right wing, in my mind, kind of trying to inflate this in order to criticize um, Bennett's move towards Jordan and say Jordan is really not a friend of Israel. It's very, it's close to Iran. Um, it's not like we've seen King Abdullah meet with the Iranian president or anything like that. So I think there are ties. Jordan tries to maintain ties with all countries um, in the region. Iran is one of them. Um, but it's not like there is this really close um, relationship that's um, being established. Noah, do you want to add anything? Everyone's trying to influence everyone. Um, and it's, you know, much more complicated than just being on one side of the fence. But I, I think that Jordan itself has uh, quite a strong interest not to let Iran in. So um, I, I agree with Alan that this might be a bit exaggerated. So we have a couple of questions about the Temple Mount, and so I'm going to ask both of them because they're slightly different. Um, Ruhr Strauss says, please tell us the original agreement that was formulated that Muslims could worship and Jews could visit the Temple Mount. This conformed with the Jewish view of worship there. 
And then Eli Gordon asked the following, why should Israel accept the lack of religious freedom anywhere in Israel? Uh, they're the only ones to offer religious freedoms all over Israel. Um, he's saying they, they, and I assume he means Palestinians, have thrown rocks on the Jews at the Kotel. That's why they need the police to enter the Temple Mount, which you didn't seem to mention. So whoever wants to take this one. Um, I can try. Um, in a perfect world, um, of course, there would be, you know, uh, freedom of religion and worship uh, to everyone everywhere. That would be great. It's not a perfect world. And there's a status quo. There's a status quo for many, many years um, in a situation which is military occupation. Um, and that basically means that even though in a perfect world, if I was the 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 waqf, uh, for example, uh, I would probably uh, you know recommend building a synagogue you know from their own initiative, but it's not it's not how things uh, work in that area, and um, every um, threat on that status quo that has been there for so many years is of course uh, causing violence. So that's what we're seeing now. Um, you know, about that comment that Israel uh, has uh, freedom of religion to everyone in some territory or something like that. I I'm not sure that's, you know, that's a fact. Uh, first of all, that, you know, uh, for many U.S. Jews, of course, you know, uh, for Reform and conservative Jews, there is no uh, freedom of religion in the Kotel, for example. And we, we just saw that uh, in uh, recent Tisha B'Av, um, how delicate this situation is. So, I'm, you know, I'm not sure this st statement is, is factual. I'm not sure also that Muslims can build a mosque anywhere they want to in Israel without a backlash. So... Um, it, it, it's, of course, complicated, um, but uh, I do think we need to remember that this is not an ideal world, that there is a status quo. Yeah, I would just like to add, it's very difficult to divorce what's happening on the Temple Mount itself from the wider issues in Jerusalem. So if there was a case where there was true equality in Jerusalem, where, where people um, in East Jerusalem were not concerned about being evicted from their homes in Sheikh Jarrah, or um, we had people in East Jerusalem having Palestinians having equal rights, or the people who actually, the Israeli police are the ones who control the security on the mosque, mount. Now, if there was a Palestinian police force that controlled it equally, maybe that would be a different situation. Um, but unfortunately, right now, we have so many imbalances of equality right now um, that are against the Palestinian, the Arab section, they believe what's happening at Laksa Mas is their one area that they have some control of. And if they were to lose that control, given the religious significance of it, it would just lead to so much more tension. So yes, from a, like a First Amendment United States perspective, of course, we would say that Jews should be able to pray on, on the Temple Mount and build a synagogue and everything else. Um, but just in reality, we saw just a few months ago in May, um, what tensions on the mosque mount compound can do, um, certainly going back to the second Tafada in 2000, it, it's just very, very dangerous. Absolutely. Also, um, I would just I, oh, like to remind maybe um, uh, some of the audience who doesn't know that from uh, the Jewish religion point of view, it's also not that clear that praying on Temple Mount is um, something viewed positively by um, rabbis. For example, there's uh, a whole... Um, uh, discussion between the rabbis if it's it's actually allowed for Jews uh, to go in terms of religion, not in terms of state. 
I'm glad you mentioned Sheikh Jarrah because that was going to be the next question from the audience I was going to ask. Amos Elroy asks, do you believe Jordan could leverage the desire for detente by intervening in the Sheikh Jarrah dispute and cause the Israeli government to pause it or prevent its resolution till a comprehensive agreement is reached with the Palestinians? And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, Noah, the timing on this is I believe the Israeli Supreme Court is expected to uh, hand down a decision. Uh, I think it's August second or third. Am I right? It's it's on Yeah, I thought I thought it's coming up very soon. This is not going away. It's it's postponed for now, and it's not clear if a new date will, will actually happen. I mean, it was postponed for diplomatic reasons, so it looks like they might want to keep postponing it. I think right now the date is August 2nd, so unless they've announced that they're postponing it again, I, we just have to keep an eye on that because that's like two weeks away. It's not far off. Yeah, of course. There was also supposed to be discussion on Siloan, but that was also postponed for no, no obvious reason. So right. it feels like behind the scenes, it's comfortable for everyone to keep postponing Absolutely. it. For, well, yeah. but, but is there a role that you think Jordan can or should play on this specific matter because as Aaron is talking about, you know, it's not just the Temple Mount, it's it's what's happening in East Jerusalem and there's all kinds of events taking place, uh, any one of which could frankly, um, you know, be the spark again for God forbid another round of violence. In terms of Sheikh Jarrah, I don't see Jordan having a tremendous amount of leverage on the Israeli government. Um, Jordan issues so many criticisms of the Israeli government on Jerusalem. We've already had like maybe two or three. Um, Justice Bennett um, has been prime minister, that it's almost like the boy who cries wolf from many Israelis' perspective, that they just don't take it as seriously. The United States, um, their intervention is viewed much more seriously just because of the aid relationship and the UN Security Council veto possibility um, that they have, along with, I think, the, the fact that there are there is an Islamist faction within the coalition, um, they have the ability to kind of prevent more provocative behavior on East Jerusalem. Jordan, um, I think, is more confined to the Al-Aqsa Mosque issues itself. Okay. All right, moving along. Um, we have a couple of questions about uh, the recent events with uh, King Abdullah's uh, half-brother, Prince Hamza. So, our own Michael Kaplow uh, asked for you, Aaron, what is the current level of stability within Jordan's political system following the controversy with Hamza a few months ago? And then Jonathan Honig asked, what is Israel's association with the arrest of the king's family member? Okay, I'll, I'll take Michael's question. Um, the second one is a bit less clear, so I'll let, <laughs> I'll let Noah try to tackle that. Um, so there was a trial recently um, of two individuals who were involved in the quote-unquote sedition. Um, they were sentenced to jail uh, over a decade. Um, Prince Hamza himself was put under house arrest for a while. Um, his, his origins haven't been clear to this day. Um, but it doesn't seem to be that Jordan's stability was ever at risk. There were, not, there were no military officers arrested, nobody from the Muhabarat or from the Jordan's intelligence forces. So it seems to be there was this kind of issue that was festering that could have been a problem down the line if it would have been allowed to keep going. Uh, but now it's, it's been put um, away. And, you, and Jordan is much more confident. The fact that the trial was done very quickly, um, the defense wanted to call Prince Hamza as a witness. 
um, but the Jordanian regime refused to allow that. There were accusations of torture of um, one of the individuals who was tried who was also a U.S. citizen, um, but that was also swiftly ignored. Um, so from a Jordanian perspective, the king continues to rule. Um, democracy, they, they, there's all this talk about democratic reform in the process, um, but very little democracy is actually taking place in, within Jordan. Um, so it, it's a lot more of the status quo that, despite some of the sensationalist headlines. I would say a bigger issue that persists is the economic ones. You see unemployment right now in Jordan is close to 25%, and that's in the official numbers. The unofficial numbers are probably much higher, especially in the rural areas, um, along with Jordan's just national debt issues and the very difficult situ situation with COVID. Um, one of the issues that provoked um, Prince Hamza um, to get more involved was there was this, inc there was this incident at a hospital in Salt um, in Jordan where there were just lack of oxygen and then all these people died because of that. So the, just these infrastructure woes that are impacting um, the country are not going away anytime soon. Noah, did you want to take the other question from Michael Coplo about the current level of stability between uh, it, within Jordan's political system following the events around Prince Hamza? I'm not an expert of, is, of Jordan's uh, internal politics, but um, I can say that for um, many years, uh, Israel has been uh, hinting, and not very elegantly, that Jordan has a bigger interest in these relations than Israel, and they often link that to the king's own position. Meaning, um, and that was something that we also saw um, around the incident with the king's brother, that uh, Israel is uh, perhaps warned uh, Jordan um, before it happened, and that Israeli security forces in general are keeping an eye for the king and, you know, doing him this huge favor, uh, which is why, as I say, they always hint that they need us more um, than the other way around. Netanyahu actually even said so, not linking this immediately to the incident, but he said something along the lines of Jordan needs us more. Um, and this is also something that uh, has been going on for many, many years and has historical roots um, in the way that um, Israel um, for a long time um, gave that support, intelligence support uh, to the kingdom. Uh, I have one more question from the audience about uh the king and his half-brother before we move on to some other questions. This is from David DeWitt. Asher Susser recently wrote a superb piece about the tensions in the palace between the king and his stepbrother, half-brother, both, who has strong ties to the tribes, a traditional power base. How might this situation affect Jordan's relations with Israel? Um, I think under the current government, um, there were a lot of rumors about what happened with Netanyahu in this plot. Uh, um, there was a report in the Washington Post, but it was never confirmed um, that Netanyahu did kind of have a role. Um, but uh, certainly under the current government, I don't think Yair Lapid and the Israeli military um, and security establishment have any interest in getting involved in a lot of these very sensitive domestic politics um, in Jordan about um, the prince 
um, and the tribes. Um, that's kind of a lose-lose for, from Israel's perspective, um, considering the king is still very much in power um, and they don't want to be viewed as going against the, the monarchy right now. Um, if Netanyahu were to come back into power, maybe things would change. By, but for, this, for the time being, I think the, the impact is pretty uh, minimal. So we have a few questions on sort of is Jordan Palestine or not? So I'm going to ask them in order. Uh, Mohammed Tutunji asks, isn't the claim that Jordan is Palestine an aspect of an outdated colonial mentality appropriate for the 19th century? It gives the impression that some Israelis feel they have the right to reshape the Middle East to suit their interests, embodying total contempt for the non-Jewish populations of the region. Noah, do you want to take I that don't one? know if question, but I am going to take this one. Palestine is not Jordan. That's it. Okay. Um, so Nancy Bernstein asks, I've heard that Jordan would force their Palestinian citizens, in quotes, to move to a Palestinian state if one is established. Is that a myth? Is there any, have you ever heard anything to the notion that if if and when, a God willing, a state of Palestine is established, that Jordan would force its populate its Palestinian population, which I believe is sixty percent of the population in Jordan, to move to the state of Palestine. I don't think there is. I think maybe we're talking about the right of return, but I I, I didn't hear that they will force them. Yeah. Okay. And then there's. One more question um, from Eric Salkov. Could you talk about the lack of rights the Palestinian population has in Jordan currently? Um, so there is a difference within Jordan. There are, Pal there are Palestinians um, who have full Jordanian citizenship. Um, and many of these um, individuals came from the 1948 war. There are some Palestinians who came to Jordan during the 1967 war and they have far fewer rights in the country. Um, you have a decent amount of Palestinians still live in refugee camps um, in Jordan, and they face um, very difficult economic conditions there. Um, in, in general, the issue with Jordan is just it's an economic one, um, and there are just very few jobs in the private sector. And that's what's impacting both people who are from the tribal backgrounds and individuals of Palestinian backgrounds. And a lot of the discontent we saw, whether in 2018, which were there are large protests in Jordan, which led to the downfall of the prime minister, you see people, uh, people of Palestinian background joining with people from tribal backgrounds to protest against the government. Um, so there, there's a lot of attention on looking at the backgrounds of individuals, but um, the economic considerations are often more significant. Nod, do you have anything to add to that? Okay. Um, David Yaffe asks, do Israel and Saudi Arabia have a common interest in keeping stability in, in Jordan, e.g. A, pre a preservation of the monarchy? If so, is this common interest acted upon? And I guess whoever takes that might also talk about the Saudi connection to this potential plot to overthrow the king. Noah, do you want that or you want to turn to Aaron? Okay. Um, in terms of in general, yes, there is a common interest 
between Jordan, between Israel and Saudi Arabia, about the Jordanian monarchy remaining stable. Um, Jordan is on both their borders, and Israel sees on its Lebanese border, its Syrian border, um, militia groups and attacks that are very frequent. And one thing that has been very beneficial for Israel's peace treaty with Jordan since 1994 is we don't see militia groups funded by Iran attacking Israel from Jordan. So Israel has no interest in the Jordanian monarchy falling um, because it could possibly lead to the Muslim Brotherhood taking over, um, which remains very influential in Jordan, or it could just lead to anarchy. Um, in terms of Saudi Arabia, there has been some tensions um, with them and Jordan. Um, at least in the re media reports about the quote unquote deal of the century. Um, but a lot of that is now in the past because the deal of the century is no longer relevant. Um, so I, I don't think Saudi Arabia is looking for chaos in its border right now either. I think Susie, the, um, everyone has an interest in stability and it's always better to have the uh, monarch you know and, and as Aaron said because the alternative could be um, quite worse but I also think that they also have an interest them meaning Israel and the Saudis um, although they want the stability they also want it to look like they have the power to and that stability if they wanted to. So it's a, it's a tricky game. They want to look like they could threaten stability, but they still want it. Okay. Um, we have a question from Robert Larrick. Could a, could a joint Israel-Mediterranean gas exploitation, or maybe it's exploration you meant, and desalination plants with aid to Gaza, West Bank, and Jordan, as well as Israel? Egypt and perhaps Sudan be helpful to more normalize and stabilize relations. So I guess there, he's asking about both um, gas production, some kind of a joint project and desalination that would essentially help the entire region. Yeah, well, I think we briefly mentioned this before. There's a lot of oil slash gas um, wars going on in the region right now. And um, this has to do with Netanyahu's allegations against Jordan, again, for aiding uh, Iran um, with their uh, oil pipe, while Israel is trying to um, establish a, a different gas route with the Egyptians, uh, um, Greece and Cyprus and Europe. Um, which many experts uh, think it's quite um, it's it's going to take quite a while until it's really feasible. But um, uh, there is, of course, uh, a, 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 a gas war uh, within uh, um, the Middle East um, in general. Uh, I'm not sure how Sudan uh, would be help. Maybe maybe in terms of. Um, um, maybe in terms of weapons that uh, come through the country, but I'm not sure what he means uh, with, with how Sudan could maybe help. Aaron, do you have anything on that question? Or? Okay. No. Um, so in this discussion, we focus mainly on the Jordanian response to the Temple Mount statement over the weekend. What about the Palestinians? Did this topic figure into Benny Gantz's call with President Mahmoud Abbas? Um, no, the, Palest 
the Palestinians were certainly not happy with Bennett's statement. Um, they're not encouraged, um, certainly with the Palestinian Authority, um, for um, there to be worship of Jews on the Temple Mount Al-Aqsa compound. Um, I can't speak to what happened in a private call between Gantz and Abbas. I'm not aware, maybe Noah um, is, about what exactly happened. But, but the Palestinian Authority is certainly keeping a very close eye on the issue. Noah? Do you know anything about what they might have, what what Gantz and Abbas might have discussed, and whether or not um, this topic of the Temple Mount and the statement that was made that was then retracted? Do you have any um, information well, there, about that? There have been uh, lots of uh, concerns lately about the stability, not only in Jordan but also in the Palestinian Authority, um, and the Biden administration has been trying to stabilize the situation by uh, bringing back some of the budgets that the Trump administration took. Um, so uh, there are conversations uh, around that. Um, I can't tell you, you know, the exact details beyond what was already published, but um, I, uh, we, we do see that there are uh, a lot of discussions uh, around the PA's uh, stability at the moment. Okay, we have another question. How have um, Israeli-Jordanian relations been impacted by the Abraham Accords? Is Jordan happy to see more countries normalize relations with Israel as it has, or does it feel as if its relationship with Israel now has less of a priority? I think we touched that um, a yeah. bit before. Um, just anything more on that? I mean, you, you talked about the fact that Jordan was pretty much sidelined during the process of, of developing the Abraham Accords um, and clearly, um, you know, felt not, not good during that whole process in the Trump administration. But I guess what I, I think the question is also about, there clearly is talk about additional um treaties with other countries that have not yet signed on. And do we know anything about how the Jordanians view um, additional uh, countries joining the Abraham Accords framework? Or like, um, like any country, it's not really about liking or not liking anything. It's about interests. So they want to be involved. They want to be part of you know that process. And not left out, like happened, you know, like what we saw during the Trump administration. So it's not really about if Jordan likes or doesn't like it. It's more about what's their role in in the game because there there hasn't been any. Um, so um, I don't think they they are opposed to the whole process, but they definitely would want to be considered. In terms of Jordan's foreign policy, they often say when asked about these kinds of questions about normalization is their focus is on solving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is from, they say, one of the core issues of instability in the region. Um, and for them, it's not whether Israel signs another deal um, with Oman or not. Um, they would prefer much more attention on reducing tensions in Jerusalem and solving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with the Palestinian state in East Jerusalem in 1967 lines. That's probably not going to happen anytime soon, uh, but that's Jordan's um, pivot consistently um, when asked about these kind of questions. And probably we also need to remember that um, these agreements, uh, just like the conversations now between Bennett and King Abdallah, um, the, also the relations between Israel and uh, some of the countries in the Abraham Accords already existed. This is about making them public. 
It's not that Jordan was surprised that Israel has these relations uh, with the UAE, uh, etc. They knew about it. It's just that now it's official, of course. And what does it mean, like Aaron said, uh, for the Palestinians? I think we have time for maybe one more question. Um, so we, or, or two, we'll see how it goes. Um, we touched briefly upon the Gaza conflicts that occurred in May. In walking back the Prime Minister's office statement, was Bennett made aware of how this Temple Mount issue could be seized upon as a pretext for fighting in Gaza, or I guess I would say a resumption of fighting? Um, I would assume during the conversations that the Prime Minister's staff had with the White House, there were conversa- there were discussions about how this could increase instability within the Palestinian realm in the West Bank and in Gaza. Um, what happened in Gaza, the, the, the last campaign was not very long ago. Um, I'm sure... Um, it didn't take too much um, reminding of Bennett to think about the connections between one and the other. Um, so I, I would assume there was some sort of conversation like that. Okay. And then this, I think, will be the last question. No, I'm going to turn to you. How does the Israeli public view the Israel-Jordan relationship? Unfortunately, most of the Israeli public um, is not concerned <laughs> with the relations uh, with Jordan. Um, uh, I think Aaron mentioned this before about, uh, you know, where, where those issues are on the lineups, but uh, it doesn't get much attention uh, as it should, unfortunately. Um, but I think that vaguely speaking, I mean, if I generalize this, I think that many Israelis um, uh, will often say that Jordan, that the, um, public's, uh, the public opinion in Jordan is against us. Uh, that's very much pro-Palestinians and, and that in recent years it's uh, becoming stronger, etc. I think that's what m- most Israelis uh, will probably think. Not that it's not true, but it's, of course, more complex. And it depends on, again, how you view the uh, two-state solution. If, if uh, people think that the two-state solution is a danger to Israel, then they see it as a um, uh, not as a, a as a positive trend, um, but you know, for those who think that that's actually better for Israel's future, uh, then the fact that public opinion in Jordan supports it is not problematic. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Um, so I want to thank both of you, Noah and Aaron, for really just a phenomenal uh, conversation. And I want to thank all of our audience for joining in. Um, So I also want to thank our supporters who are with us on today's call. Your generosity makes programs like this possible. And again, if you have not yet done so, please consider making a contribution today at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash support. As always, I encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, Israel Policy Pod, Sign up to receive the weekly Coplo column in your email inbox and visit our website to access recordings of our previous briefings. Stay tuned for an announcement regarding our next video briefing. And until then, thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you soon. And thank you again, Noah and Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.